You are listening to the Less Drama, More Mama podcast, episode 110, Making Virtual School Work for Your Family with Lauren Adler. This is Less Drama, More Mama, the podcast for moms who want to feel calm, in control, and confident about how to handle anything life throws their way. You're ready to go from feeling frazzled and disrespected to feeling calm and connected. This is the podcast for you. I'm your host, Pam Howard. Welcome to the podcast, Mama. I have a very special treat for you today. As you know, every 10th episode, I interview someone amazing. And today I'm talking with my whip smart and hilarious friend and former colleague, Lauren Adler, about how to make virtual school work for your family. We talk about the role of parents in virtual learning, the biggest mistakes parents make, and also strategies for parents to help their kids be more successful in online school. But before we get to that, I just want to remind you that when you sign up for private coaching with me now, you'll also have access to the group coaching that's starting soon. And that is such an amazing bonus because you'll be able to meet other moms who are on a path of learning and growing. You get to learn from their struggles and successes as you watch me coach them. And it just adds another layer of support as you work to achieve your goals. So if you're interested in learning more about my coaching and whether it's right for you, you can sign up for a free consultation with me at lessdramamoremama.com forward slash mini. It is the best investment you can make for yourself and your family. All right, this episode with Lauren is a bit longer than my usual interviews, but I didn't want to cut anything out because I think everything she says is helpful and important for you to hear. But it is a lot of information, so get out a piece of paper and take some notes. And if you have any questions for a follow-up episode, we want you to put those in today's show notes at lessdramamoremama.com forward slash 110. Okay, so without further ado, here's my interview with Lauren Adler. Hi, Lauren. Welcome to the podcast. Hi. Um, Happy to be part of the podcast. I'm so happy you're here. I want you to introduce yourself. Tell us like who you are, what do you do, a little bit maybe about your family. Okay. Um, So my name is Lauren Adler, and I am a elementary ESE instructor. I um, work with kids in kindergarten through fifth grade, and I do support facilitation with students that have learning disabilities and other kinds of um, disabilities that affect their academic performance. So I push into classes to help those students. They're students that have IEPs. Um, I've also been a classroom teacher previously, and I have two daughters, and they are in second and fifth grade. So I understand, you know, the role of the working parent and of the teaching parent, Mm. Um, which there's some overlap and some differences between being a working parent and being a teaching parent. Um, Yeah. What, like, inspired you to become an ESE teacher? Uh, That's a good question. So I um, grew up with a learning disability myself, and I had um, teachers that I came across in my life that inspired me to be the best version of myself. And then other teachers that really um, highlighted my disability in a negative way, and it really inhibited me from being my best self. And so the teachers that had such a positive impact on me 
really outweighed, to be perfectly honest, the negative impact that the teachers that did not make me feel empowered by my disability, but made me feel hurt and incapable because of my disability. And I just, unfortunately, the positive ones were few and far between. So I was inspired to become an educator and a special educator to be one of those positive impacts on kids' life who, who struggle academically or, or have a specific learning disability. I went to graduate school after graduating college. I got my bachelor's degree in psychology. Um, I thought about pursuing a career in psychology, but it was really a calling to help those kids that struggled like I did that inspired me to go to graduate school. And when I was in graduate school at Bank Street College of Education in Manhattan, I decided to get a degree in both general education and special education. So I have experience with both both groups and there's a lot more similarities than than you'd think. Yeah. And so just when you said like, I got this degree and this degree, it's like, (laughs) ha, in the face of the, you know, your learn, your own learning disability. Yes. Um, And, you know, it's, it's funny you say that because I'm now an avid reader and I, I could not functionally read until I was in third grade. And when my mother sees me just reading book after book after book, she repeatedly is like, man, I wish your first grade teacher could see Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, that first grade teacher being one of the negative educators that I had impact my academic career. And I bet I I know you, I've seen you teach and everything. So I know that you share with your students. Oh yeah. And, and that must be such an inspiration to them to see like how much you love to read and how, how far you've come in your life. And if you can do it, so can they. Yeah. And, you know, as educators, we've pretty much collectively adapted this growth mindset mentality. Um, And you hear many educators saying, you know, it doesn't matter if they're educators where where we live in Florida, educators in New York, educators in California, it really doesn't matter. We're we're really hung up on this word yet lately. Mm -hmm. The past several years yet has become one of our favorite words. And that's really what I talk to kids about is you know, I didn't love reading when you're, when I was your age either, but you just don't love reading yet. Like there's going to become a time when this is going to change for you. And hopefully it happens for you earlier than it happened for me. Um, but it's going to happen. I think that's good for parents to hear too, that not all hope is lost if their kids don't like to read right now. Yes. Yes. Um, Okay. So you had reached out to me actually initially and said, like, I think we need to do a workshop or something on, you know, how to help parents facilitate their child's learning from home, because we're all in this virtual school environment now where so many of our kids, although some people are going back to school, there's also a lot of parents who are still at home with their kids learning virtually. And I think, you know, we really both want to help parents understand what is their role in virtual learning. So, right. Is that? Yes. So can we start off? Can you tell us a little bit about the differences between homeschooling and virtual school and maybe even in-person school? Like, because you hear a lot of parents these days saying like, I'm homeschooling my kids when they're not really homeschooling their kids, but they are home with their kids who are doing virtual school. Yes. (laughs) And you know, sometimes I think it's in parents for, for it's important for people in general to understand how their words impact those around them. And I, I know because 
I obviously work with a lot of educators, um, but I'm also friends with a lot of a lot of educators. I've worked in a variety of schools in a variety of different places in the country. And I keep in touch with a lot of the teachers that I've worked with. And I know that they would all agree with me when I say teachers find it especially irksome when parents say they're homeschooling their kids when they're really doing virtual school at home. And the big difference between what we're expecting parents and students do virtually versus what we what a homeschool situation is, is that when you're homeschooling your child, you're responsible for providing the lessons and the curriculum and, you know, all the work that your child is doing. Um, And if you are a homeschool parent, you know, you have to register to be a homeschool parent and whatever state you live in will require some sort of work samples or testing to prove that your homeschooling methods are effective. And nobody's asking parents to do that right now. Parents are not responsible for curriculum. They're not responsible for content. They're not responsible for giving their kids work to do. The only thing that parents, and and I know all the educators I work with and all the educators I've spoken with are trying very, very hard to not expect parents to provide their children with any of the academic resources that they need in, in school. So we're providing books digitally. We're, we're um, having all of our, you know, what we would typically have paper and pencil tasks done through the various Google suite or on Seesaw, all different apps. Um, now, occasionally I might say to a parent, do you have any actual books at home because I think it would be better for your child to be reading an actual physical book rather than the digital copy. But the expectation is not that you have that at home because not everybody does. So everything is being provided for parents in a virtual school model where none of that would be provided in a homeschool model. Now, the difference between virtual school and in-person is that In in-person school, not only are the teachers still providing all that content and curriculum and practice and assessment, but they're also managing the child's behavior. And so they're really helping the child stay focused and engaged in the lesson. That's something that's very difficult for teachers to continue to do virtually. We are doing the best we can in order to keep kids engaged and behaved. Specifically, a big notable difference I've seen between what we were doing in the spring and what we're doing in the fall is really requiring kids to keep their video on Zoom on. Mm -hmm. Um, Different teachers, one of the teachers I work with, a second grade teacher sent home these little light bulbs for the kids to hold up in the screen when they have a question. So we're really doing little things here and there to keep the kids engaged. Now, I can also tell you that there is nothing that a teacher can do to prevent a child from just logging off. And I've experienced it. And I know other kids, other teachers have experienced it as well. And the kids just, they don't want to do whatever we're doing. And it's very simple for them to just log out, turn the computer off leave the area where their computer is. Um, right. Or say, well, I'm having technical difficulties. Right. That's a really good good excuse because what do we know, right? Right. Yeah. I'm pretty sure actually um, two days ago, I was working with a kid who I think was purposely holding very, very still to make it appear <laughs> as though she was frozen. Um, but I don't think she was. But I mean... I I actually was telling another teacher about that. And I was like, some of these things are borderline impressive. Like it's a real, you know, ingenuity to to think like, well, if I just don't move, she'll think it's frozen. (laughs) Um, 
but this is where this is where teachers need need parents help mm-hmm. is in this behavior management piece and part of the reason i reached out to you to do this is because most programs that prepare teachers for teaching uh you know, whether it's a bachelor's degree in education or master's degree in education, different workshops that we all attend throughout the school year or in the summer, a lot of this is focused on this piece of behavior management. And so teachers have a lot of training and a lot of practice in managing students' behavior. And that's something that I think parents really need right now. And obviously we can't we can't have you all get master's degrees so or you know cha- go to a training in responsive classroom but there are right. little tricks of the trade that that we all know that i think if we shared with parents would help improve the situation not only for the parents but for the kids yeah so let's talk about you know what are the expectations for parents and maybe then get into some of the the tricks of the trade right but i think you know obviously Parents, I hope, would know this by now. Like, they need to provide a place in their home that is as distraction free as possible. You know, make sure that they have their supplies and that they're well fed and getting exercise and all those things. And then, you know, from my perspective, one of the things that I see is that parents have a really hard time. And I talk about this on the podcast all the time with their child's negative emotions right? With their child having any discomfort. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so, and, but teachers are dealing with this in school all the time. Kids get frustrated, kids get bored, kids get restless. And so the parents don't necessarily see that happening at school when the kids are at school, but it's happening now all the time at home and they don't know what to do, or they don't like that their kid is upset about something. And so they want to give in to whatever it is like, so, okay, you, you're not, you're not happy with this, then just you don't have to do it today. Or the parents will say, you didn't call on my child and they're, they're had their hand raised for five minutes and now they're frustrated. So what are you going to do about it? Right. You know? <laughs> no, and I, um, I don't think parents like to even, even if we just made it as simple as like the kids struggling with something, parents don't like to see that struggle. And, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of parents are sitting there helping with every single task that's being put forth for the kid. And, you know, not only is that taking up so much of parents' time, but now you're setting up a situation where when that child does go back to in-person education, and they are one of most likely over 20 children in a class, because that's typically the class size we see across the country, somewhere between 18 and 24 kids. And that's like in a good school. We as educators, we cannot address every child's frustration, every, every child's struggle, every child's boredom simultaneously. And as a teacher for now 11 years, I've also had student teachers and assistant teachers work under me. And one of the things, the first things I tell them about this piece is if you sit here and you try to address every single child's need as they have that need, you're going to be playing Mm whack-a-mole all day long, and you're never actually going to get to teach anything. Now, your child, especially if you're not a working parent, has this amazing opportunity to have their little teacher and as the parent sitting right next to them, addressing their every need, every concern, every struggle. But then they're going to go back into the classroom and we don't have one-on-one situations like that. Right. So even if you have the op- ability to sit next to your child and help them through everything, 
that's setting up an expectation for your child that will be impossible for a teacher to address. And that's even if we went back to a regular school year, which we're not. So even those of us that are returning in person, that in person looks very different from the way that it started in the fall last year. Mm -hmm. Teachers can't get that close to your child to comfort them or to help them and, you know, track with their finger under the page as they're reading, you know, we have to maintain social distance. So, you know, and most educators right now that are in person are not only having to address the needs of the students in front of them in the classroom, but also the, the needs of the students whose parents decided to keep them virtual. So teachers are not, they never were, and they certainly not are now able to address every student's struggle exactly when that's happening. Um, And I get it as a parent, we don't want our kids to struggle. We don't want our kids to be frustrated, especially when we feel like we have the ability to ease those frustrations, but it's not necessarily teaching our kids. Yeah. (laughs) We're not teaching them the skills to be able to deal with it themselves. I know that, I mean, because I teach kindergarten classes in first and second grade and their parents are often right there with them. Mm -hmm. And I see a lot of times, you know, I'll ask a question and the child will turn to look at their parent for the answer and, you know, or the parent will leave the room and the kid then like freaks out and also leaves the room. And so I was thinking about this. I was like, you know, it's almost like when you're um, sleep training (laughs) and you say to your kid, excuse me, you say to your kid, you know, like I'll be back in 10 minutes or five minutes or whatever. And then you go away and you come back and check on them. And then you like gradually leave for longer and longer periods. Yeah. Like, I think sometimes, you know, parents may need to do that in this situation. Like, no, I, I think that that would, especially if you've already set up this expectation from your child, that you're sitting with your child, you're helping your child throughout the whole day. We need to pull some of that back for your, for the parent's sanity and for the kid's benefit. So you need, you can't just go cold Turkey. It has to be a gradual, you know, a gradual shift from I'm sitting next to you all day to I'm sitting next to you for less and less time. Um, and one of the things that like, when we talk about like my, the teacher tricks of the trade. So there's a lot of books that teachers read, but one is a, is a book that many, many, many teachers read. I would say most teachers read and it's called the first six weeks of school. And it is a responsive classroom book. But in the first six weeks of school, we talk all about setting up these systems for for the students in order for them to be successful later on. And it's basically practicing independence. And when we say practicing independence, we we do it for, like you said, short periods of time. So we're all going to sit and we're going to independently read our books. But the first day, maybe we're doing it for three minutes. And then we're gradually increasing that expectation. You know, one of the things that I know we've done before, Pam, is like, we'll set a timer and we'll we'll talk about what reading behaviors look like. I'm just using reading as the example, what it looks like when you're actively reading. And then the teacher will just walk around the room. And the minute those reading behaviors start to stop, there's more fidgeting. There's more, you know, flipping the pages too quickly. Then we stop the timer because this now we're, we're not doing it anymore. Um, and I think that this is kind of what parents need to start to do is this, we're going to practice being independent. We're going to be independent for increasingly long, longer parts of the day. And one of the things that 
they explicitly say in the first six weeks of school and another book um, by Ruth Sidney Charney, who contributed to the first six weeks of school, teaching children to care, is that you want to set up the independence, but you also want to be watching. So, you know, maybe you're not sitting next to your child. You're not sitting at the computer. You're not helping with every question or, or, or advocating for your child when they're struggling. But maybe you're now in the back of the room. So you're still physically present, but you're just the proximity mm-hmm. is also different, right? Mm-hmm. I'm here. I'm, I'm still here. I'm still listening, but you're going to be at your desk and I'm going to be over here. And the other thing that teachers like to do, and, and this is mentioned also in these books, is like, we like to look like we're doing other things when we're not actually doing other things. We're yeah. watching and we're monitoring. Totally. So maybe we're sitting there and we have a note and we're like, well, I'm just going to sit here. I'm going to write some notes about some of the lessons I'm doing. That's not what the teacher is doing. The teacher is mm-hmm. pretending to writing to write notes while they're watching the class and making sure that everyone's doing those behaviors that we talked about. And I think that's an important step also for parents is you know either we're doing that the sleep training method or... We're saying, okay, I'm going to be in the room, but I'm not sitting right next to you anymore. And I'm going to be back here and I'm going to be reading my book or writing my emails for work or, you know, making a gross, whatever it is, something that you can kind of be doing while also making sure that your child is still logged into the computer is still sitting facing the screen is, you know, participating when they're called on all of those pieces, has all their materials readily accessible and is using them. And these are the pieces that the parents are responsible for. These are the pieces that the parents need to be doing. They need to be helping with that engagement and the behavior. So now I'm thinking about all the working moms who are listening and they're like, that sounds nice, but I have to be on my own call or my own, you know, Zoom video. So I can't be there in the room. What do I do then? The benefit to those parents is, is they probably weren't in the room to start because they were working in the spring or they've been working for the past few weeks if their child's already started school. So their child is not expecting them to be sitting next to them. But perhaps, and and I know from the students I'm working with, these are also the kids that are struggling with engagement. Mm -hmm. Um, I think setting clear and consistent expectations is so important. And you need to have these conversations not during the school day. Mm, That's so Um, important. Yeah, I always tell parents, have the conversation, have the, like the difficult conversations at a time other than when you're having the situation, exactly. <laughs> right? Right. At a calm time when you're maybe taking a walk together or you're in the car or you're at dinner or something like that. No. And you know, it brings up another, a lot of parents are saying that their child's struggling with the different technology pieces. Um, and, you know, first of all, I want to say that as educators, we're all trying very hard to only use technology, com- you know, computer programs, apps, whatever it is that the kids have used previously. So we're not trying to introduce something new now that they've never seen. And it's important that parents know that. So the, these are the same programs and apps that we were using in the classroom before COVID. The notable exception to that would be our new incoming kindergartners, who a lot of this is new for. So, so the kids are somewhat familiar with these apps, but there's nothing that says that these apps can only be accessed or used during the academic day or during the academic week. So, you know, you have to think about 
how you can set your kids up for success, right? So if your child said, well, I couldn't get on Google Classroom or I didn't know how to log into Zern or I couldn't whatever the, you know, fill in the blank for the app or the program that your child's saying they're struggling with. And, and it's very likely they are. Even though, like I said, these are all programs and apps we've used before. That's when, to me, you take time in the weekend to say, okay. And again, another tidbit from these books that teachers are like, they're like the Bible for teachers about behavior management is we, we talk about the deed, not the doer, right? So it's not, not, oh, you, you couldn't log in. You didn't do this. You didn't do that. It's a lot of like, when's the doer, it's a lot of the child, you, what you couldn't do, or to be perfectly honest, the teacher, right? The teacher didn't help you. Mm -hmm. That's all not going to help anyone be successful. The deed is the problem, right? The deed is you couldn't log in to do this assignment. The, mm-hmm. the logging in is the problem, not you right. the logging in. Right. But now it's Saturday or Sunday, or maybe, I mean, to me, the weekend would be the best for this, but maybe it's not, maybe the school day's over. And, and it's a no, it's not a, a, a punishment. It's not a punitive thing. It's not, I'm so disappointed. It's, I hear you're struggling to log into these programs. Let's practice logging in Mm -hmm. right now. Yeah. Now, a lot of teachers are giving password, we call them password vaults, right? So it's everyone's username and password. And believe me, no one wants to have this many different logins. Mm. Teachers don't want the kids having this many logins. We don't want to have this many logins for ourselves because the teachers have to log into all these programs as well. It is what it is. But practicing logging in will help your child be more successful and independent during the academic day. Mm-hmm. And you don't, and, and maybe, maybe the, to, to make it again, we're, we're focusing on the deed. The deed is logging in. We're not going to actually do any work. We're just going to log in. Right. We're going to make sure we know where to find the link for the website. And this is all happening when we're not upset. We're not stressed because I was supposed to be logged in 10 minutes ago and I still can't figure it out. We're just focusing on this one task, this one, this one struggle. But again, and and this is something I know you and I have spoken about previously. This is not a we problem, right? So you don't have your as a parent, you don't have a Google Classroom. You don't have an account with IXL. Your child does. And so if you take the computer from your child and say, okay, what's your password? What's your username? then you're making it a, a we situation and you're also not helping your child be independent. Right. So you so, were, so when we talked about this before, you were saying you'll have some parents reach out to you and say, we couldn't log in right, or we couldn't access this homework or something like that. And so that's when you, when you say it's a we, pro, it's not a we problem. Right. Say more about so that. It's sometimes it's a, we couldn't, I hear we couldn't log in all the time. Mm-hmm. And I even hear, you know, we didn't understand the assignment. Mm-hmm. And there's so much power in our language. And I know this is something that you find really important and valid, the power of our language. I'm sure you've talked about this in other podcasts. And when your child hears you saying we, this we couldn't log in, we couldn't, un- we didn't understand the assignment, you're sending a message to them that this is not entirely their responsibility or entirely their work. This is your combined work. This is your combined problem. And that's not true. 
I'm sure all the parents who are listening to this already took fourth grade math. (laughs) (laughs) So maybe you don't remember it as well as you did. And that's why you're feeling like it's a we problem, but it's really not. It's not your job to remember, you know, how to find the area of a triangle anymore. And again, we talk about you're sitting there and you're watching your child struggle and you know you learned this in fourth grade and you should remember it. But ultimately, if you don't have a career that requires you to know the area of a triangle, that's not your responsibility. And when you refer to it as a we, you're sending the message to your child that it is. Mm, So important. So good. It's really, really important. And, you know, one of the things that there's some silver linings to this situation. And at times it's hard to see what they are, but this is an, an amazing moment to empower your children and to teach them to advocate for themselves. Okay. So in this situation, right? So the kid tries to log on and they can't, and then they go to the parent and they say, mom, dad, I can't log in. Can you help me? What does the parent do? So logging in, especially when it's like logging into Zoom and there's a time constraint and there is a lot of stress and anxiety in that moment. And we don't want to put that aside because not only is the child feeling stressed and anxious about getting into their class on time, but inevitably when your kid comes to you with the computer and that look on their face, like I can't log in, you immediately become stressed and anxious as well. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, and that's again, why I think unless you, unless you work with me and then I can right. learn how to not react that way. <laughs> right. And I, and you know, it's, it's one of those situations where like you have to think about, and I'm sure you've talked about this on your podcast before, how anxiety decreases our ability to be successful and, pro, and, and efficient. Right. So if we're, oh, where's the link? I don't know. That's not helping the situation and it's not expediting your child getting on this on the call. So I think it's important, again, to put this back on the, onto the child. So like, what have you tried? Mm-hmm. What do you think the problem is? Mm-hmm. And, and it allows potentially for a solution, but also for a pause is, did you try turning everything off and turning it back on again? And while that's happening, we can think of any other solution to this problem. Now, again, when we were started this in the spring, everyone was thrown for a loop. Everyone, the parents, the teachers, and the students, nobody knew what to expect. No one knew exactly what they were doing. And no one was really given much time to prepare. Coming in back into this in the fall, it's a different story. And you need, everyone needs to come at it with an open mind and a possibility that it's going to be different and it's going to be more successful. Yeah. And that it's technology and we all know technology doesn't always work and that's okay. Like it's sometimes people get so frustrated with technology and it's like, of course, technology is going to glitch. Sometimes we had a glitch in this interview before, like, it's fine. It's fine. We're going to get through it. We're going to figure it out. It's all going to be okay. Even from a teacher's perspective, because I've been seeing these technology problems, you know, left, right, and center, even in the fall, as the teachers have worked really hard to make all of this more accessible and more user-friendly. I've had kids where every single time they go to speak, it's, it's very difficult to hear them. And Mm -hmm. I know that's, that's not their fault. That's Mm -hmm. not the parent's fault. That's not the teacher's fault. That's just the situation. And we're working on strategies to help those kids communicate effectively, despite having 
maybe not the best internet signal or, you know, not the best computer. But the difference is, is those kids, you know, okay, you're, you're glitching, but you're here. Mm-hmm. You're showing that you're, you're being present. You're, you're working on writing your question in the chat instead of communicating it. We have kids, you know, holding up notes up to the screen. This is all, okay, you're there. You're with me. This is something to work with. Yeah. And I think at my school, like, I think we know that that happens. So we also have online, if you can't log in, here's what you can do. Right. And knowing where all that information is again, ahead of time before you're in that problem is vital Mm -hmm. to everyone's happiness and everyone's success. But I had another student who I had a conversation with yesterday and it's consistent. So every period we're having problems where we're logging off, not being able to log into any single program. And, you know, we had a conversation and we're like, we get it. Technology, these things happen. But when they're happening to you at such an increased rate compared to everyone else, then we're starting to say like, what's exactly going on here? And like we said, like I said at the beginning about the, my student who is pretending to be frozen, you know, a lot of kids are using these technology glitches Mm -hmm. as excuses. And we don't want that either as teachers and parents aren't going to want that either. And I think it's important. And this goes back to that accountability piece and independence is knowing the difference for your own kid as to when this was a true technology problem and when we're now using it as an excuse. Yeah. Um, and there yeah, is- and so parent teacher communication is so right. important. Yeah. Right. Like parents and teachers have had way more communication um, in this virtual model than they than they even did in person. Like they're just they're talking at least at our school they're talking a lot more frequently because this is more you know of a partnership with the behavior piece at home and the academic stuff online. Right. And, you know, and we've had, I've had conversations with students who are struggling with internet and talking about how a program like Zoom requires so much of processing speed from your computer, bandwidth from your internet. And so when you're struggling with Zoom, that doesn't mean you're going to struggle with all the other applications that you're expected to use. And so having, and, and this is an important going back to the we comment. When your child comes to you and says, I can't log in, perhaps you're in a meeting and you can't help, that's okay. Maybe your internet's you know, not working properly or the link's broken, or maybe, I mean, the first day of school for me, Zoom had crashed and a lot of teachers couldn't get into their classes. Mm-hmm. These things all happen, mm-hmm. but our children are completely immersed in technology and that, that they have been for years. This isn't a pandemic immersion. This is just our kids growing up with technology and it being such a part of their lives. And so your kid knows how to send a message to their teacher communicating that they're having a problem. And those messages, while maybe the parent should be following up, they need to start becoming more and more from the students. You know, as I mentioned, when we started, I'm an ESC teacher. I work in classrooms with a classroom teacher, but I work very, very hard to just be another educator in the room. And I was in a fifth grade classroom this week and we were all working and doing different things. And all of a sudden I saw I had an email and it was from another student in the class, not an ESC student who had emailed me to tell me 
that he had gotten kicked out of the Zoom and could, he had emailed his teacher, but she was teaching, so probably didn't see the email. Could I please tell her to let him back in? Wow. That's a really responsible kid. Right. I mean, and he didn't hit my email address is probably not something that just popped right up to him, but he, he tried that. Mm -hmm. And to me, that's so impressive. Even if that's the only thing he was able to accomplish all day was sending me this email. That was such an empowering moment for him and such an enormous step towards him becoming independent and in charge of his own learning that that might've been more growth and more learning than whatever the lesson was that he couldn't log back into. Right, right. Um, And that's, you know, we talk about the silver lining, becoming more independent and growing as an advocate for yourself and as a learner. These are life skills that, that, you know, if we can provide kids through this unfortunate circumstance, will have a profound impact on their life. So Um, important. I love that, right? Like, and if they can learn all of these skills, like, with the safety of the parents around, right? And then be able to transfer that when they go back to in-person. Yeah. And, you know, and this is the, when we talked about, again at the beginning about the difference between in-person, virtual, and, and homeschooling. In a homeschooling model, you truly are the teacher, right? You are the, the only one. There's no one else for your child to reach out to. In a virtual educational model, your child still has a teacher. And that teacher is the one who's responsible for helping them, not you. Mm-hmm. And you might feel like you have that responsibility because you're sitting in your house with your child and you're seeing them struggle and, and that's uncomfortable for you. But ultimately, it's not your job to help them. And telling your child to reach out to their teacher for help is A, going to put that responsibility off of you and free you up to do your job or to do the things you were doing before the pandemic. It's also going to teach your kid to be responsible. And it's also going to help your child's teacher. And that is so, it's such important information for parents to understand because we've, as educators, faced this problem before the pandemic. But since the pandemic, it's like a pandemic in and of itself. Mm-hmm. is parents are having, they're providing so much help and assistance to their child with their academic tasks that they're masking struggles and preventing teachers from being able to help. Yes. And it's yes. causing... Oh, so it's, true, right? Because I'm sorry to cut you off. Like, no, it's okay. No, when, when you're, you're there and you're providing the answers or you're doing the work for your kid, then the teacher can't get a, an accurate assessment of what your child is actually learning. And it's doing them a disservice because when they go back to school, eventually, they're not actually going to know what the teacher thought they know or what they're supposed to know at that point because you've been doing the work for them up until that point. Right. And you know, a lot of parents I'm sure are listening to this and thinking, well, I'm not doing the work for my child. Yeah. And perhaps and perhaps you're not. Perhaps you're just helping them. They didn't they didn't know how to do long division, so you taught them how. But you're still taking a responsibility that's not your responsibility. And you're still preventing your child's teacher from truly understanding who they are as a learner. And I think that this feeling like, well, my kid did no long division, so I had to teach it to them, is creating a lot of angst about this virtual model. And it's why I think I'm hearing a lot of parents that I'm friends with continually say, 
well, the virtual school doesn't work for my child. Mm. Is virtual school the same as in person? Absolutely not. Are kids getting the same level of education virtually that they would in person? No, they're not. But it's also really, really important for parents to understand that what your children are going back to is not the same as what it was. And it is not the same level of education that your children were getting in person last fall. And it is looking very, very different and much more similar to the level of education we can provide virtually, but it's in the, it's in the classroom. Um, So I think that if parents understand that when their child doesn't understand something, that's okay. It's okay for them not to get it. What's not okay is for them not to do it. Mm -hmm. So a teacher would rather work be submitted 100% wrong than not submitted at all or submitted with so much help and assistance that now a parent is aggravated and annoyed with the teacher in the school and the child might not have learned it the way that the teacher expects them to know it. Right. And then they're going to continue to struggle. Mm -hmm. So And I can speak to my own children in the spring. I'm on Zoom with students all day, basically from 7.30 in the morning until three in the afternoon. So I don't have a lot of time to have a big role in my own students, my own students, my own children's education at home. And I can tell you that there were several times in the spring where my daughter, who was in fourth grade at the time, submitted math work that was almost entirely wrong. And when that happened, her teacher at times would email me and say, I need to meet with your daughter and and help her because she doesn't understand. And after that happened so many times, I said to this teacher, I'm like, here's her email address, email her. (laughs) Right. Um, and That's funny that happened to me last week too, but with my daughter in high school, <laughs> the teacher I, emailed me and I was like, she's in high school, email her. Like I really, I did the same thing. Yeah. Right. So I'm like, email her, but the teacher getting that hundred percent wrong work was a flag to her that my daughter's not understanding it. And it's not my job to teach my daughter. It's her, her teacher's job. And her teacher wants to do that job. Her teacher wants to help her. But without that flag being raised, she thinks everything's fine. And, you know, it's interesting because, like I said, this is not a new problem. It's just gotten profoundly worse since we switched to virtual. And I think that's because parents think that the expectation is that all the work is being submitted and it's perfect. And that's not what teachers are expecting. I think it's important for parents to understand what's being graded for a completion grade. So just that it was done and what's being graded for an actual grade, because typically what teachers do, especially in elementary school, but a lot of times in middle school as well, is they'll have a bunch of assignments that are graded for completion to make sure a child's understanding, giving them adequate practice before they're given an assignment that's actually being graded for a grade. And even when your child gets to that point where now they're taking the test or they're doing the essay, When you have such a heavy hand in that so that your child gets an A or 100 or whatever grade you're hoping that they get, you're also sending the message to them that they can't do it on their own. And that's not the best message to send to your child. Now, maybe they do it on their own and they get a 70 and that's not what you're hoping your child gets. But then you need to take that test. And again, this isn't a 
virtual learning situation. This is just good practice for helping your child in, in school and life. And you look at that test and you're like, okay, let's go over what you got right. And let's go over what you got wrong so we can learn from this and improve the next time. Mm -hmm. But doing it for your child is in my opinion, worse than having them get a bad grade on it themselves, because you're telling them that they're incapable of doing it on their own. And I work with kids who really struggle, but they're capable of doing something on their own and sending them the message they can't is not, it's not empowering them. It's not helping them. And like I said, this isn't a new problem. I worked with a student in middle school a couple of years ago, and the mother was so concerned about his writing. I, at the time I was working as a learning specialist and she kept saying disparaging things about the teacher that he had for English. And, you know, how does she not see that he's struggled so much in writing? And so I pulled his most recent, you know, assignment and I was like, oh my goodness, this, this, he's a beautiful writer. I'm not, I don't see the problem. So I called the, the parent and I was very honest. And I said, you know, I read his latest assignment and I thought it was very, very good. And she was like, well, yeah, cause I wrote it. <laughs> So I was like, oh, okay. So how do you expect his teacher to know that he struggles when you're not letting him submit his own work? Mm -hmm. And it was, you know, an interesting moment for her, but also an interesting moment for me because this was a connection she had not made. Mm -hmm. And she was like, oh, here she was so angry that this teacher wasn't seeing her child struggle, but she was masking that struggle and preventing that teacher from being able to see it. Yeah, I'm sure so many parents do this and hopefully, you know, we'll have an aha moment for themselves (laughs) right now because the way that you talk about it is really, is really helpful. And it goes back to, you know, talking about the growth mindset. One of the things that I tell my students all the time is you are going to make so many mistakes. It's amazing because when you make mistakes, guess what happens? You learn and you grow and you get to see where, you know, where you need to work harder. And, and so I think, I mean, I see so many kids that are terrified of making mistakes. And so they don't even try. And I just try to always be like, you made a mistake. Okay, great. Let's, let's work with that. Let's see, you know, let's grow from that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And the mistakes Um, are proof that you're trying, that you're putting forth effort. Yeah. So I think, you know, parents adopting that attitude is really important too. Like when you see a kid, when the kid hands you a a grade or a paper that says, you know, you got 17 wrong and three, right. It's like, you got those three, right. Let, you know, let's first, let's let's celebrate celebrate that. (laughs) And then it's like, okay, what happened over here? Like, there's something that you're not understanding. Maybe we can teach it a different way. Maybe like you said, the teacher wants the kid to learn the information. So that grade is information back to the teacher that maybe you didn't explain, she didn't explain it right. Or he, or maybe, you know, they need to figure out another way that this learner can grasp the concepts. Right. I mean, and we teach multiple strategies for pretty much everything. Mm -hmm. And when your child submits work, that's all correct. We assume that that strategy worked for them. They don't need another strategy. Um, A lot of parents don't realize that teachers are pulling small groups or providing one-on-one instruction instruction to kids who are struggling like this. And they're not getting the help that the parent needs and the child's not getting the help that the child needs because they're masking this problem. And it's really important so that everyone's happier and more successful. Yeah. 
Yeah. And I would say also to parents, you know, if your child is struggling, reach out to the teacher, let them know that, you know, what you're seeing at home and try to have a collaboration instead of blaming the teacher or blaming the child. I love what you said earlier, the deed, not the doer. Right. Right? That's another great takeaway for parents today. Instead of like being against the school or the teacher, work together, work as a, you're a team, you're a team for your child. And so how can we work together to help them when they're struggling, I think is a good approach. Yeah. And I think, you know, when we, when we talk about stressing the deed and not the doer, when you, when you do feel like you need to advocate for your child, especially when your child's younger and you really just don't think that they have the words to express what's happening at home or how they're feeling. I think it's really important. And and as educators, we do this all the time to focus on what we call observable behaviors. Don't explain to the teacher how your child's feeling, because even though you're their parent and you know them better than anyone, you're still not inside their head, unfortunately. I know at times really wish I was in my own kid's head, but I'm not. So I think they're feeling anxious, but truthfully, I don't know. So if I describe to the teacher what I'm seeing, then that helps the teacher, A, look for those things, even through Zoom. Is this child really like fidgety all over the place? Are they starting to bite their nails again when that's a habit that they had left behind? Um whatever observable behaviors you shared with the teacher, now the teacher can look for those behaviors and make sure that they're addressing that child's concerns in the moment. So I think it takes, it really focuses on that deed and not the teacher and not your child. It's, you know, I'm seeing that by the time my child gets off the computer at the end of the day, they just don't, they're, I'm seeing they're tired. They want to rest and and it's making homework difficult because they seem tired, you know, and I'm, this is what I'm seeing. I'm seeing them lying on the couch, those kind of things. Yeah. I think help, help everyone work together to solve a problem collectively. Yeah. So this is amazing. I think parents are going to get a lot out of this episode and probably we could continue talking for, I'm sure we could (laughs) for a long time. So, and maybe parents are going to have questions like, Based on what they've heard today, they're going to have more questions and we could even do a follow-up episode if necessary. But um, so I'm going to encourage parents to, if you do have questions, to leave them in the comment section and I'll provide um, a link to the show notes or in the show notes, I should say, I'll link to the books that you mentioned because you mentioned a couple of books. Yeah. And those are our teacher books, but I think some parents might enjoy yeah. reading them. Right. Um, and learning more about some strategies. Mm-hmm. So I'll link for those. And if people have other questions, they can put those in the comments. Is there anything like a final word that you want to say? You want parents to leave with a certain message? What would that be? So I think if I'm leaving with a final message, it's, you know, when we started, we talked a little bit about how teachers are very into growth mindset and that word yet, right? That was kind of how our conversation started. We haven't, we haven't loved to read, learn to love to read yet, or we haven't learned how to do long division yet. Well, this growth mindset and this power of the word yet is not an exclusive to children and to, and to students mentality. So perhaps Distance learning and virtual school didn't work for you or your child in the spring. But instead of saying it that way, say it wasn't working for us then, but maybe we haven't gotten there yet. And it's going, we're going to have more success with it in the fall. I also think it's important to know that, you know, as we shift to in-person, that again, parents need to, to be looking at that with a very realistic view 
that it is also not going to necessarily be the same for, for their children or for them. And there's a possibility that it will end up going back to a virtual model. And rather than come back to that virtual model with a negative defeatist attitude of this isn't going to work, come back with it. Okay. How are we going to make this work better this time? You know, again, growth mindset. So you're, you're touching on so many things that I also teach. One being that your thoughts create your experience, right? So that's the mindset piece. But also I've talked about powerful questions, asking yourself powerful questions. And so that was one of one of the things you you mentioned was, you know, how am I going to make this year this experience the best that it can be? As opposed to like, why isn't this working for my kid? Which is you know, if you ask yourself that question, your brain is going to look for all the answers and all the evidence why it's not working versus how can I make this work? How can I make this more successful? Which is going to give you much better answers. And I think including your, your children in that conversation will only help yeah. and will also empower them. So how can we make this better for both of us? Yeah. You know, I, I still have things I need to do and I know you can do a lot of this on your own. So how can, how can you feel supported and I can still do the work I need to do? Right. Yep. Excellent. Okay. So (laughs) thank you, Lauren. You're amazing. I love you. I love you too. And it was a pleasure. And I really hope I, you know, ultimately, I guess the, the real parting message that, what everyone needs to know is that we all have best intentions, right? Teachers are in this to help students. We yeah. want them to succeed. We want them to be happy. We don't want kids to struggle or feel frustrated. Struggle and frustration is part of life though. And so when you come at it with, you know, your chi- your teacher's child is doing everything they can to support your child, even through Zoom or whatever model your school is using. Just remember that it's with everyone's best intentions. And if we all come together with those best intentions and positive attitude, it's going to be a better experience. Absolutely. I agree. People are doing the best they can right now. And, you know, this is a, this is a really difficult time and we're all just doing the best we can. And sometimes our best sucks, (laughs) right? Sometimes we're going to get it wrong. We're going to make mistakes too. And guess what? That's, that's how we okay. Yes. okay. So that's how we're going to make it better. Okay. Thank you again. And uh, maybe we'll do this again another time. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and you know, people can comment the things that they don't think are going to work for them and we can, you know, try to unpack that a little bit too next time. Sounds good. Thank you for listening to the less drama, more mama podcast. If you like this episode, please take a moment to write a quick review on iTunes and make sure you subscribe too so you never miss a show. Got a question, comment, or idea for an upcoming episode? Email me at pam at lessdramamoremama.com.